Good morning and Happy New Year. Would you turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning? Jeremiah 29. We should all be concerned about the future because we're going to have to spend the rest of our lives there. There was a man who was losing his memory and he went to the doctor and the doctor examined him and noticed that the problem of the part of his brain that was affecting his memory was also close to affecting his eyesight. And so the doctor said, well, we can't help your memory without impairing your eyesight. So it's your choice. Do you want to be able to see or do you want to be able to remember? The man thought about that for a while and he said, well, doc, I think I'd rather have my eyesight than my memory. I'd rather see where I'm going than to remember where I've been. A lot of people, most people, want to know what the future holds for them. What is in store in the future? And a a lot of effort and time and money is spent in that arena. In fact, uh, 40 million Americans this year will consult horoscopes to discover their future. There are in the United States of America three times as many astrologers and psychics as there are clergymen. And an enormous amount of money will be spent on that. People want to know the future. They want to see where they're going so that they can have confidence in their future. I've had you turn to Jeremiah 29 because I see in the verses that we're going to read five choices, five firm steps that you can take in this new year that will give you confidence as you step out. Now, Jeremiah 29 is a letter, basically, from the prophet Jeremiah to a group of captives, exiles, who have left Judah, Jerusalem, and gone about 500 miles to the east and are now in Babylon. Let's... uh Let's read verses 1 through 4, and we'll begin there. And here's the first step for the new year, the first choice. Be spiritual with your time. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem To Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, scoot down to verse 10. Let's just pick that up while we're reading. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet who had been running around Jerusalem for the last several years before this captivity, warning the people, the captivity is coming, the Babylonians are coming. 
But nobody wanted to listen to Jeremiah. Well, what happened is exactly as Jeremiah predicted, the Babylonians came and besieged and sacked Jerusalem on three separate occasions. Just for history's sake, 605 B.C. was the first. Um, 597 was the second. 586 was the third. And the third time it fell completely. So there's Jeremiah warning. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to take the city. This captivity that we're reading about is the second captivity in 597 B.C. Jerusalem has not completely fallen but so many have been taken exile and removed from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. So they're hostages in that country. So Jeremiah sits down to pen them a letter, a letter of hope, a letter of resource, a letter of encouragement, saying God isn't finished with you yet. I know this is tough. But the letter was filled with exhortation and instruction and that letter would sustain them for the next 70 years. This, the, the idea of 70 years in captivity, that, that's about an average lifespan, isn't it? In fact, the Bible even says that, doesn't it? It says the average span of a man's life is three score and ten, 70 years. So there is sort of a parallel between the Babylonian captivity, as I see it, and us sojourning on this earth for about, give or take, 70 years. One of the most important choices we can make, just as those captives from Jerusalem were in Babylon and were to be sustained and nourished by a letter from the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, is that we, in this coming year, be sustained by God's good promises and firm instruction through His Word. In uh, the book of Job, while he was going through his great trial, the man Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So I, I want to encourage you that in the next year, you make part of your firm commitment facing this new year confidently saying, I'm going to cling tenaciously to the promises in the word of God. I'm going to be keeping close to what God said in his word. I uh, watch people in a time of crisis. That's sort of what I do. I walk with them through it. I counsel them through it. And I get to see what different people do when a crisis affects them, what they turn to. Some will turn to the bottle. Some will turn to a snort. Others will turn to a friend. Others will turn to some anything supernatural uh, others will turn to the horoscope. Make sure this year that you firmly turn and grip the Word of God, all of its promises, all of its admonitions, and all of its rebukes. All of it. Sir Walter Scott, who was Scottish and was a poet, statesman, uh, he was dying, and on his deathbed he said to his steward, bring me the book, and his steward pointing to the large library that Sir Walter Scott had said, well, Sir Scott, you have so many volumes, which book shall I bring you? He said, bring me the book, the Bible, the only book for a dying man. 
It was the only book for a dying man because it's the only book for a living man or woman. God has given us His Word. And so in this new year to cling to that, to hold to that, to read it. Why? Because of what it will do. The Word of God will change you. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will direct you. David said in Psalm 119, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Third, it will protect you. Same Psalm. David wrote, your Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Fourth, it will cleanse you. Jesus said to His disciples in John 15, Now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. And uh, finally, it will calm you. In John 16, verse 33, the Lord Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that in Me you might have peace. All of those things are promised to us as we, in this captivity of sorts in the coming year, cling to the Word of God and decide to spend our time with a spiritual emphasis. Not long ago, Tyndale House Publishers put out a little notice in a survey that they had taken stating 90% of frequent Bible readers say they feel at peace all or most of the time in contrast to about 58% of infrequent Bible readers. As Charles Spurgeon used to say, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. So, what place will the Bible have in your new year? Will you read it a lot? Do you read it daily? Do you carry it with you? Is it just a fashion statement? Let's see, I'm wearing black today. I'll wear the black Bible. I'm wearing brown. You know, what place will it have? How important is it? Make sure it's a spiritual emphasis this year. I found this little quip called uh, The Diary of a Bible. January 15th. Been resting for a week. A few nights after the first of the year, my owner opened me, but no more. Another New Year's resolution gone wrong. February 3rd, owner picked me up and rushed me off to Sunday school. February 23rd, cleaning day, dusted and put back in my place. April 2nd, busy day, owner had to present the lesson at a church society meeting, quickly looked up a lot of references. May 5th, in grandma's lap again, a comfortable place. May 9th, she let a tear fall on John 14, 1 through 3. May 10th, Grandma's gone, back in my old place. May 20th, baby born, they wrote his name on one of my pages. July 1, packed in a suitcase, off for a vacation. July 20th, still in the suitcase. Almost everything else taken out. July 25th, home again, quite a journey, though I don't see why I went. August 16th, cleaned again and put in a prominent place the ministers to be here for dinner. August 20th, owner wrote grandma, grandma's death in my family record. 
He left an extra pair of glasses between my pages. December 31st, owner just found his glasses. Wonder if he will make any resolutions about me for the new year. What if your Bible could talk to you? What would it say? Would it say, hi, old friend. Good to see you again like I saw you yesterday. Or would your Bible say, and you are... How familiar will it be with you this year? Second, as you face the new year, be responsible where you are. Verse 5, the letter continues in chapter 29 of Jeremiah. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters so that you may be increased and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. In other words, you're going to be there 70 years. Make the best of it. Get a life. Get married. Work hard. Plant vineyards. Get an occupation. Make sure that you are occupying in this captivity right where you are. Make sure that you are responsible. And have lots of kids over there in Babylon. Now, maybe they were hearing that thinking, have children here in such a pagan environment that's surrounded with uh, gods and goddesses that are foreign and bad for our children. This is not the kind of environment you want to raise children in. It is scary in our culture raising children. When you uh, discover that over the last few years there has been a 560 in percent increase in violent crime, it makes one pause a little bit, saying, maybe we shouldn't have many more kids here. That thinking for me was changed a few years ago when I was speaking to a woman. They already, her and her husband, had several children, and they really couldn't afford another one, but they got pregnant at the later stages of their life. I said, wow, you're going to have another children. How are you guys doing with it? She said, we're doing great, and here's why. This world needs the kind of children we can provide. I thought, that's a great spin on it. That's the way to look at it. We live in such a dark world, Christians can provide light bulbs for this dark world. Be responsible right where you are. And then look closer at verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. That is Babylon. That's the very center of their captivity and pagan worship. You seek the peace of that city and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Well, this is a far cry from the sentiment that would say, you know, the Lord's coming so soon, don't bother to get involved in your culture. Just wait for the Lord to come back. You don't have enough time to go to college. You don't have enough time to get a profession. Well, that's not the thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ 
who did tell his disciples to watch and be ready for his coming, but he also gave parables, stories about their responsibility right here, right now in their world. For instance, in Luke chapter 19, he gave a parable of a nobleman who went to a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. And he said that he called ten servants and delivered unto them ten sums of money and said, do business or occupy until I come. And then a parable in Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus said, Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give to them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. He's so doing, he's active, he's staying occupied. A a prime example would be Joseph. You remember Joseph was taken from his familiar surroundings of his family and taken captive into Egypt. He was sold as a slave there. He grew up as a slave But the Lord turned things around for him. He became prime minister. He saved the land from a famine and left a lasting legacy. He left his imprint because of his involvement in that foreign country. And he even named one of his kids Ephraim, which means fruitful, saying, the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So right here, right now, in this land, I'm going to be responsible right where I'm at. There is a tendency of some Christians to look at their culture, their environment, and to isolate themselves, and thus insulate themselves. They look around the world and they say it's a big, bad, evil world, there's lots of unbelievers out there, a lot of sin, a lot of cooties. I don't want to get defiled, so I'm going to withdraw from all of them and protect myself from all of them. And we don't make much of an impact that way. Other people look at their world and um, they don't insulate or isolate, but they do, I would say, vegetate. They just become very apathetic toward their world. Yeah, whatever, you know. I can't really change my world. It's, it's beyond me. It's a lot bigger than I am. So they become lukewarm and also very ineffective. There are yet other believers who look at this world and they don't vegetate and they don't isolate, but rather they imitate it. They think, I'll just be exactly like they are. If the world does that, I'll do it. In fact, you can't really reach the world unless they understand and see that you're just like them. And that can carry over into illicit practices of compromise where the world sees no difference between them and the Christian. And again, it's not effective. Here's the best tact to take in the new year. Permeate the world, just like salt would be poured into the meat, to permeate the world, the dark world, with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he would have us do. Be responsible where you are. Third, be careful who you listen to. Look at the eighth verse. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name, and I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, this is Jeremiah's plea to the people to use discernment in their hearing. Because there, there were at that time prophets, false prophets, false diviners who were with them and had been carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon, this new place. Now remember, Jeremiah was the prophet who was running around Jerusalem saying, Thus saith the Lord, unless you turn to me, the Babylonians are coming and they're going to take you captive. But there were other prophets who said, Don't listen to Jeremiah. The Lord would never let us, His people, suffer that kind of fate. But then, 605 B.C. happened, the first of the three deportations and captivities. And as soon as that happened, Jeremiah's credibility went up because exactly what he predicted happened. But there was a prophet back in Jeremiah named Hananiah who came and he said, folks, within two full years, the Lord has spoken to me and said, all of the captives that left are coming back and all of the vessels that were taken from the Lord's house will be brought back it's not going to get any worse than this. It was going to get much worse than this. There was yet a third and final captivity, deportation, and annihilation of the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah knew this. And he knew that there were enough people scattered around the captives who would just give them feel-good messages and not tell them the truth. So he's saying, please listen with discernment. Not every messenger who says, God spoke to me, is a true messenger of the Lord. And I would say that for us today, in this coming new year, God's church needs discernment. Be careful who you listen to. Listen, Satan is a great deceiver. He's been in the business of that ever since the fall. Jesus in John 8 called him the father of lies. He has a counterfeit gospel. Galatians chapter 1. Though we or an angel from heaven preach to you any other gospel than what you have received, let him be accursed. Not only does he have a false gospel, he has a bunch of false messengers that come. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Thus, it's not surprising if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And in the future, he will even have a counterfeit Christ, won't he? The Antichrist, who will come and deceive this world and persecute this world in an unparalleled way. So, we are to hold fast those things which are good. To listen what, what is being spoken of through the filter of what we know is the truth from the Word of God. Cling to what is good. Hold fast to it. You remember in the Wizard of Oz when they finally got to the great Oz's palace and they were all there 
trembling before the great awe. Smoke was billowing out of his mouth and they were shaking all of them until little Toto pulled that curtain back and Dorothy could see the man behind the curtain. And so I would just make the plea using Jeremiah's cue, pull back the curtain a little bit when people are speaking in the name of the Lord and you're a little bit suspicious as to is this from God or not? Look behind the curtain. Be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, who heard the words that Paul spoke and received them with great readiness of mind, but searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Fourth, be mindful of your brevity. Be mindful of your brevity. Again, verse 10, look at it. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So yes, get involved. Yes, have kids. Yes, spread your family. Get involved in the city, but understand that you're only going to be here for 70 years. Then you're out of here. You're you're in a transient place. You're only here temporarily. So in applying this, I would put it this way. Learn to filter all of your temporal decisions through an eternal grid. Filter all of your temporary decisions through an eternal grid. Moses said in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. It always helps when you're planning for your future here on earth to think in terms of the eternal perspective. What does this have to do with seeking first the kingdom of God and my eternal destination? Like the missionary who encouraged people whenever he saw different groups, he would pray, Lord, stamp eternity on our eyelids so that we're always thinking in terms of the future. Because life is brief and we have to make decisions in light of eternity. Jesus said, what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And so many people only plan for the 70 years, but not much beyond that. Not for the soul, not for the eternal, for where we're going to spend our bulk the rest of our time in eternity. There was a man who was walking on the beach and he found a magic lamp, as the story goes, that had washed up on the sand and he rubbed that magic lamp and out came a genie who said, well, there's only one wish left. What do you want? The man thought a while and he said, I'll tell you what I'd like. I'd like the stock page one year from now. I'd like to see what those stocks are going to be. Genie went up in a puff of smoke and left, and in his place was the newspaper, that page, the stock page, from a year after that date. It fell to his lap, but it fell on the other side where the obituaries were, and he noticed a name on top of the list that caught his attention. It was his. So here he was thinking, I'm going to invest with confidence in the future. He'd be dead a year later. He's not thinking much beyond the temporary. 
Billy Graham was at a university and he was asked questions by several students and one student said, what's the most surprising thing you've discovered about life, Dr. Graham? And he said, it's brevity. Of course, he said, it's brevity. It's brief. It doesn't last long. And when we think about decisions we make, we have to filter the temporary through the eternal grid. Fifth and final, we'll close with this. Be watchful of God's care. Be watchful for God's care. Verse 11. It's the most precious verse. It's the verse most of us know in this chapter. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. That's God speaking through this letter. The problem was the people themselves didn't know the thoughts that God had toward them. They were thinking, God's done with us. It's over. We're toast. We've been taken into captivity. God's eternal plan for us has now been broken. So many of our people have died. Others were taken captive. And when that city would finally fall in 586 B.C. and destroyed, so many of them would lose their hope. But God is saying, look, though I have disciplined you, though I have judged you, it's been a judgment of love. It has been remedial. It's been that I might bring you back. It's that I might restore you. I have a plan for you. In fact, the whole purpose for the 70 year captivity was to spank them, to get them back on target, to get them back running into the embrace of God. No parent loves to spank his or her kids. I remember when Nathan was really young and we were disciplining him and there were some rebellious bouts that we had to deal with. And I hated to do it. And he hated me doing it. But my heart toward him, my thoughts toward him were not thoughts of evil, but they were thoughts of good to give him a future and a hope. God has a future for you a hopeful future, a bright future. It could be, though, that you are experiencing some pain, some pressure, because God is trying to get you in His plan, that you run back into His embrace and submit yourself to Him. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Good thoughts to give you a future and a hope. Do you ever wonder what God thinks about you? You know, some people would, would say, if they were honest, well, I know God loves me because He sort of has to love me. He's God and all. But I'm not sure God likes me. Well, understand that God's thoughts toward you are good thoughts. Not only that, they're numerous thoughts. 
In Psalm 139, David wrote, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Have a little fun today. Go down to the beach and get one handful of sand and try to count it. You won't make it by the end of the day. And then look down the beach and see all of that sand and realize God's thoughts toward you are more in number than all of that. And what are his thoughts? Thoughts of good and not of evil. Here's my encouragement. In this coming year, cultivate that. Watch. Look out for God's providential care toward you. Learn to go through the day seeing God's goodness, the little marks of blessing that he brings along the way. Now, so many of us go through the day and all we notice on the white sheet are the black spots. Not the rest of the white sheet. Just the negative stuff. It's sort of like looking for iron particles in a handful of sand. If you were to run your fingers through the sand, you won't find many iron particles. But if you get a magnet and drag it through the sand, a lot of them come up. An unthankful heart is like fingers running through the sand. A thankful heart is like that magnet. It learns to find them in so many places. So the new year is here. Step into it firmly with confidence. The old is gone. The new has come. And may God give you, us all, more eyesight than memory. Forgetting the things which are behind, looking forward to those things which are before, pressing toward the mark of the high calling of the prize in Christ Jesus. So live this year spiritually, live it responsibly, live it carefully, live it mindfully, live it watchfully. Christopher Columbus was sailing to the New World. Um, He had lots of hardship, days and weeks and months of suffering. His own crew wasn't even behind him. There was the threat of mutiny almost every week. And yet at the end of every day, when he would write in his personal log, his journal, he would always end the day by saying, today we moved westward. As bad as it's been, today we moved westward. My crew almost left, but today we moved westward. So many of us have fallen ill, but today we move westward. This new year Keep moving and looking for God's goodness as the evidence of his love for you. Let's pray. Lord, we are concerned about the future because we will spend all of our days, our lives there. It's the future. That's where we're going to spend it. The past is over. It's been an investment. But here we are. And here on this first day of the new year, on this, the Lord's day, we surrender ourselves to you personally as men and women of God, young and old, middle-aged, in between, all of our gifts, all of our talents, all that we have, we surrender it to you, Lord. Help us, direct us, guide us by your good hand as we take these steps and make these decisions to face our future with confidence. Thank you for the past lessons, but Lord, 
Now give us keen insight to know where we're going. In Jesus' name, amen.